It's me again. All right. How about we open our Bibles or in your bulletin, you're going to see a text for us to read. This, this prophet Isaiah lived about 750 years before Jesus was born. Um, and this passage, though, it's, it's going to be a familiar one, perhaps for most all of us. It speaks of a special child to be born who brings the victory of God's light into this world full of darkness. The birth of Jesus is about light from God, heavenly light, coming into this world and coming into our lives. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us this ancient text this ancient text that brings life and light to this world this day, into this very room in which we gather. The truth from this passage is near and dear to us. May we see more clearly the hope that we have and the light that has come into the world for us, that we may belong to you, we pray. Amen. Well, tonight we culminate our Advent season in the four Sundays prior to tonight. We've lit in a candle. We lit a candle each each week, and we've uh, lit all the candles around this wreath. And this evening, we lit the what we call the Christ candle. You know, Advent season leading up to Christmas Day is the celebration of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a it's a time of increasing light. Why? Why this ever increasing light? Because Advent is really about darkness in this world. The darkness into which God has sent His Son as the light of the world to give life and light to you and to me. We read in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You know, in the Bible, light and dark, uh, when they're discussed, really rarely uh, refer to like physical light and darkness. It's used mostly metaphorically as in uh, goodness versus evil or peace versus oppression or wisdom versus folly. And it's true when we think about it. The, the world into which the Son of God came is a, is a dark world. It's a place where good intentions, they really only get you so far, right? A place where the bull market turns into a bear market before you can say stop loss. Some of you get that. A place where marriage vows evaporate like water on a hot skillet. A place where youthful legs and lungs yield to walkers and and oxygen tanks. A place where dreams turn to hopes and hopes turn to, well, possibilities. And possibilities turn to long shots and long shots turn to, oh well, never mind it. The world into which Isaiah wrote this prophecy was similar. It was dark. Well, not completely dark. In fact, in some ways, it reminds me of America today. The people of whom um, to whom God uh, God spoke to Isaiah through Isaiah was preaching to, they were living they were living in prosperous times. They had good paying jobs. They had two car garages. They had Uber Eats bringing yummy treats. <laughs> it was a good time to be an Israelite, or so it seemed. But check this out: the so-called people of God were just that so-called. Spiritually, they've been living off the fumes of prior faithful generations. They had the temple of the Lord, but they cared not for the Lord. And the Lord was about to act. In His grace, this is amazing, God in His grace sometimes brings calamity to people so that we would wise up and repent. And that's what He's done for all of His people. And it was about to come. God was going to send a darkness. It had a name. Assyria. Yeah, that ancient nation. Think of modern Iraq, Damascus. Those areas. Within 40 years, war was coming. And wherever they begin to attack, where they always began to attack, in the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, in the land beyond the Jordan, yes, that place, Galilee of the nations, powerful king Sennacherib in 701 B.C. would attack. So as they say in Game of Thrones, winter is coming. For the rebellious people of God who have yet to see in that show, darkness is coming. But into that darkness, listen, God's grace would produce a light. The short message is titled, The Light of God in a World of Darkness. Advent is about God's light coming into a world of darkness. Do you see this world is dark in need of light? Well, let's see God's light coming into this dark world. First, let's see that God came to the place where His people had suffered the most. And from that place, He launched His plan of salvation for the entire world. You know, whenever armies came and fought into Israel, they traveled through the Fertile Crescent, and they landed where? In northern Israel. (laughs) Those poor people up there, they were the first ones to get beat up every time. The first area that always came under attack, Galilee of the nations. 
The Galileans knew slavery. They knew oppression. They knew despair. But check this out. God turned invasion into a mission. Who were the first ones to hear the light of salvation when God sent His Son into the world? Those living in Galilee. In Matthew chapter 4. That is where Jesus first goes to preach the gospel. And Matthew in chapter 4 says, huh, this is interesting. Ah, he did that to fulfill what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9, which we just read. Light has shone into Galilee of the nations. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. The people who've been walking in darkness now find themselves rubbing their eyes because it's just so bright. You've done that, right? Turn that light off. They had deserved what they experienced. They deserved the suffering. They had turned from God, but God used the suffering to turn them back to Him. So He sent His light. God in His grace comes. Understand this. God is not pleased in punishing us. What pleases God is His loving relationship that He has with His people. That's what pleases God. But know this, even our sin can't keep God from loving us. The light of heaven comes and it penetrates into our deep and dark souls. The last line of our passage says that God is what? Look at that. God is zealous to do this. When was the last time you were zealous to do anything? I don't know. What was it? You know, uh, maybe play a video game, you know. I don't know when was the last time you were zealous to do anything. But know this, the, the, God himself is zealous to bring the light that brings hope to this world, into this world. And this must bring about joy for us. Look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at harvest, as they are when they divide the spoil. My friends, here the you, the the pronoun, is God. He is spreading His light more and more to more and more people. He is multiplying a remnant, remnant from long ago into a great multitude of nations. You know, when you fast forward in the in Scriptures to the very last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, here's what we see happening in, in this age to come that God is going to bring about. We read that there's a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, all languages, they will be crying out with one loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on His throne and to the Lamb. My friends, what's coming in this celebration in the age to come, this is no meager joy. And neither is this joy that Isaiah speaks about. This is like joy of winning a national championship. This is like the joy you would have when when you hear your cancer is cured. That's the type of joy we're hearing here in this passage. In verses 4-7, through Isaiah explains why this joy is present where there was once darkness and oppression. Do you see that in the text? Three times the word for appears. It could also be translated with the word because. Why is all this joy here? Because, because, because. Because of the wonderful things He does. That's not Oz. Somebody else. First, Why is there such joy with this light of God entering our dark world? First, God is our liberator who's fighting for us. Verse 4, For the yoke 
of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, most people um, today in America don't even know what Midian is, what it's referring to. But the Midianites oppress ancient Israelites. But God raised up a man. Remember the story Gideon? Remember God raised up this Gideon man, a judge? And how did he do it? How did Midian fight? How did, how did Gideon fight against the Midianites? Well, it really wasn't him. It was God who did the work. Remember God told Midian, says, all right, how many soldiers do you have? Uh, I've got 32,000. Okay. Uh, God says that, that's, that's too many. <laughs> and he had him whittle them down to what? 300 soldiers against a huge mighty army. Why? So the people of God would know that the battle was really won by who? God himself. That's what this is referring to. How's this going to happen? God's going to do something kind of like what, what Gideon did with the Midianites. It'll be so obvious that God did this, that it wasn't a human effort, that you're going to be so full of joy and thankfulness that God would come and finally win the battle for us. Isaiah, though, is looking forward to someone far greater than Gideon, right? How do we know? Because our liberator will not only defeat the evil forces, he will do what? He will put an end to conflict itself. This, this baby who's being born here in Isaiah chapter 9, there's something about this person that he's going to put an end to all war forever and ever. You guys remember the war to end all wars? Remember that? As we've come to call it what? World War One, <laughs> Because it wasn't the war to end all wars. But it was a time after that where mankind was like, we can do this. We've got science and technology. We're going to put an end to all suffering, to all wars. But really it just showed us this man on his own can't do it. But here in this passage, God is speaking through Isaiah and he's saying, but I'm going to do it. It'll be me who puts an end to all war, to all suffering. There's a day coming. We know this because in verse 5, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult. We don't use that word very much anymore, do we? And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Basically what he's saying is all, all the all the mechanisms for tyranny you know, like boots and soldiers and camouflage garb and M16s and tanks. They're going to be rolled up and thrown in the bonfire of God's grace at the end of the age. That's what this is saying. And it's in the passive voice, which says that it's God um, who's going to accomplish this. You know, mankind on our own will only experience war and more war. God will be the one who finally puts it to end. But now, who is this one greater than Gideon? Who is this all-powerful figure striding across the world stage? Through what magnificent person does God renew the world forever? Look at verse 6. It's a child. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God's answer to everything that has ever that has ever terrified us is a child. The power of God is far superior. The power that is far superior to all the Syrians is what? A child. God can defeat them by becoming a child. 
God's answer to all the big bullies throughout history is not to become an even bigger bully. His answer is Jesus. Sounds like foolishness. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we should expect this from God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Hello. These four titles speak of Jesus. As wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. As the mighty God, he easily defeats his enemies. As everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. As the prince of peace, he reconciles us with God while we're still sinners. And this child will grow to become the, become the king to end all kings. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will what? Be no end. For some of you that, wake up, for some of you this is sounding too good to be true. What? The increase of his peace, there will be no end. That's, that just sounds like pie in the sky. But no, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. My friends, Christ is the King above all kings. Invisible to us now, but, but He is in heaven, present on His throne. He's ruling and He's reigning. The, the victory that He brought us on the cross, that victory over sin and over death, that He proved was a victory through His resurrection, that, that points to a day to come when, when He will return again and His victory will come in its fullness. That's what our hearts long for here this time of year, Christmas time. We long for an eternal joy. An everlasting peace. Something that triumphs over walkers and oxygen tanks. And broken marriages and failed dreams. That's what this passage tells us is coming. One day Christ will return. And the empire of God's grace is going to expand forever. The increase of His government and of His peace, there will be no end. It speaks of the day when all all that is broken and with this world will one day be put to end and those who trust in Christ will rise to this world and walk on it. Some people get the sense that heaven's a boring place where you're a bodiless person. No, you're going to have a physical body and a soul walking on a beautifully renewed world, the world that we belong for. And you're never going to get bored by it, right? It's not going to be like, oh wow, this is <sighs> happiness is fleeting here in heaven. No, it won't be like that. We are finite beings we were called into a relationship with an infinite God. Therefore, we will never tire of the goodness of heaven. It will be forever expanding, forever triumphing, forever accelerating, forever intensifying. And this passage here says that the zeal of Lord of hosts will do it. My friends, God's light has come into this dark world. In Christ, that promise of Isaiah has come true, which means that the fuller day to come is true and we can trust in it. But that can be hard. You know, the book of Isaiah is actually a pretty long book. 66 chapters. This is in chapter 9. But when you get to chapter 50, um, God speaks to the prophet and he's still talking about light and darkness. He's still worried about his people. Will my people that I've given this message to really embrace it or not? Or will they walk by their own lights that they create? 
We're pretty good at creating our own light in this world, aren't we? Lights that we can walk by, our career, our relationships, um, you know, our financial success, the wealth we've created. These are all lights that we create in order to light our own world up in which we can walk. The Isaiah passage in chapter 50 is amazing. Here's what he says. God says, please don't overlook what I'm saying. God says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light. There's a humility to this, right? I know I don't have light on my own. That really is going to, for all eternity, help me. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. For what? For light. Which God gives us through his word and through his spirit, and through his people, through Christ. And then he has a warning. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. You know, God says, I've given light into this world. Come and walk in it. There's grace. There's mercy. There's peace. There's hope. Not just for here and now in this dark world, but in the age to come. But what will you do? Essentially, there's two types of people in this world. Those who say, let me live by the light of my own torch. And those who say, let me live by the light of God. Which one are you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that you know this world is dark. There's a lot of good things in it. There's a lot of little good lights going on, but that's only because your grace is still here. Help us to be people who are wise, people who understand our own mortality, people who know where true goodness comes from. It comes from above. It comes from our Creator. We're thankful that in this dark world, you come and walk with us, that when we call out for light, you give it to us. And with you, there is no shadow of death. When we walk with you, there is true light. We thank you, Christ, for giving us light. Amen.